We're in Mark chapter 6, and um, I'm just going to grab that out of there. So, Father, we want to just pray as we, we come to your word now that you would, Lord, just open up our ears and our minds to, and our hearts to, to really take it in, to understand. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, to each one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quite a long passage today, a long section. I'm probably going to actually, I'm going to spring on Rachel, if she doesn't mind, to come and read it for us, because uh, I'm not a big reader, to be fair. So, um, and uh, I'll just get her to uh, come and read it. We're, we're in, I've got a Bible for you. Big print or small print? Big print. I knew she would. She's, tu- she's turned 40 like myself, you know. <laughs> we need these little extra helps. Um, so we're in chapter 6. And we're in verse 1, and we're, we're going through until verse 29. So it is a chunk, okay? So uh, there's three different stories which will link together here. Thank you. On. Oh, yeah, it is. Sorry. Okay. Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, And wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave, as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John, and he wanted to kill him. But she wasn't able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. 
When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. And at once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's great, thank you. Now, the, um, quite a lot of stuff there, um, but one of you do really talk about just the, really the question about, about rejection, what it means to, to, to experience something like, like that. I don't know, maybe some of you, like me, can remember back to your school days with a little bit of, little bit of dread, particularly those PE lessons when you're asked to stand up against the wall, and then it seemed to be always the two most popular guys ended up picking the teams. And you're sort of standing there with your fingers crossed, your legs crossed, your arms crossed, everything crossed, hoping and praying that you wouldn't be picked last again. And you're just, a few minutes go by, and, 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 and it's just you and the big kid. And you're thinking, surely not me again. And then your worst nightmare comes true. You're standing alone. And no one likes that feeling of rejection, do they? When I was about 10, 11 years of age, um, our school, I was last year of primary school, we were going on, on a school trip, going over to Scotland, which seems a bit bizarre for the day, but we did. And uh, so we, we arrived there early in the morning. Now, I've got a twin brother, his name is Colin, and at school we were pretty much identical. Teachers really couldn't tell us apart. Very useful sometimes, had some disadvantages as well. So, we're, so the headmaster is going around in preparation for a trip away. He's going around with little name badges, and he gives them to everybody in the room. He comes over to Colin and myself. He hands us one name badge with the words, the Coopers. True story, the Coopers. I guess rather than, rather than embarrassing himself by not knowing our names, he thought he might as well embarrass us. Instead, insensitive? We thought so. <laughs> and you know, we like that sort of feeling, the feeling of being different, the feeling of being left out, that feeling of rejection. So how do we cope with those types of things when they happen and they come across our lives? Well, as we get into chapter 6, we see that that the opposition is growing towards Jesus. Now, we've seen a lot of this already. It's been building and building. But as this chapter begins, Jesus is going back to his hometown of Nazareth. He's going with his disciples. Now, this was fairly normal activity for, for any rabbi, except Jesus is no ordinary teacher. He's actually never trained formally as a, as a rabbi. His training is in carpentry. He's good with his hands. He, he makes things. 
And yet, as Jesus goes along, he turns out to be one of the greatest of teachers, and he is training his disciples. He's preparing them for the mission that lies ahead of them, which we'll come back to in a moment. That's the second part of the story. So on the Sabbath, as Jesus would always have done, he goes to the synagogue and he takes the the scroll and he reads and he expounds from the Old Testament. Now, bearing in mind, these are all his friends sitting, listening to him. These These are his neighbors, people he's grown up with, people who know him well. They know absolutely everything about him. They know his background. They know his family. They know his work. And as they listen, they are absolutely astonished that this ordinary guy, this guy from their street, is able to teach with such authority, with such wisdom, and even to perform such amazing miracles. And even though none of these things are particularly bad, they very quickly take offense at him. Because they're wondering, what is the source of his power? Where is his, where is his authority coming from? And there must be nudging one another in the congregation as they listen, asking the questions, Jesus, who are you? And what starts off as astonishment very quickly turns to resentment as they remember that he is from a family just like theirs. In fact, not even as important as theirs, because they consider him to be even from a lower-class family. It's also interesting to notice what they, how they talk about Jesus. They describe him as the son of Mary. Now, in our culture, there's nothing unusual about that. That's quite acceptable. But in Jewish culture, for a man to be described as the son of his mother was pretty much always considered as an insult. And what lies behind that statement are questions over his birth. In fact, questions over the legitimacy of his birth. And even though they never quite go as far to say that Jesus is, the, is a, using the B word, that's the level of insult here. At the very least, they're seriously jealous that this person, one of their own, has made it so big and their hearts are hardened towards Jesus. You see, knowing a lot about Jesus is not the most important thing. You can know about Jesus in enormous detail, but your heart can still be miles and miles away from him. See, what is important is what you do with that knowledge. And yes, when we talk about Jesus, it's important that we we explain the facts of who Jesus is, the fact that he came from heaven to earth, that this is God who comes in the form of man, God who is 100% God and yet 100% man. And Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He walked these streets. He never sinned. Yet he is the one who goes to the cross. He is the one they nailed to the cross. He doesn't deserve to be there, but he dies there on that cross in our place. He dies for our sins. He dies to take our punishment. He dies so that we can have forgiveness, so we can have relationship with God. But of course, the story doesn't end there, because he rises again from the dead, and he ascends up into heaven. And today, Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And listen, we, we need to know these facts. We need to understand who Jesus is. We need to get this. But sometimes we also need to respond to Jesus. Knowing facts is not enough. It demands a response. And we must choose either to accept him or in some cases, others will reject him. And sometimes we can use our knowledge, our theology, even our understanding of the Bible, even of church as a, as a barrier, as something that we can hide behind to stop us coming to that simple faith of putting our trust in Jesus. That's where we must get that's where we must go. But you will always notice that there is always a response. And sometimes that response is hostile. Sometimes it is rejection. But sometimes it is a response of faith, of obedience, of trust, of forgiveness, of freedom. But there will always be a response. A few well, a number of years back, I was leading a, a, a sort of a Bible study group in, not in Chester, in another, in another town. And I was getting to, you know, it was just an interesting, interesting uh, sort of little group of people we, we, had, we were gathering there. And, and it's had some challenges along the way. Many of them had, had um, just spent many years just fed on, on a diet of God Channel. Now, there's some, there's some okay stuff on the God Channel, but there's also stuff that I wouldn't be very comfortable with as well. And we, we got to the... I just got to this particular evening, and I was just getting frustrated. There seemed to be just a level of apathy, just, just weren't getting through. So I, I prayed. I prayed that, that God would, would just break in, that God would just shake things up, that just, just get rid of the apathy. We're actually we're going through the book of Mark at that particular time as well. We're getting to the, to the end of uh, the... End of the um, of it, and just before Jesus goes to the cross, talk, talk about the passion of Christ. And I was talking about the fact that because Jesus is fully God, 100% God, and yet 100% man, he's the only one who could possibly die for our sins. I'd barely finished my sentence when I heard a sort of uproar in the corner, and somebody got seriously upset and started yelling at me and said, you cannot say that. You, you, you can't say he was not God. He might have been the son of God, but he certainly wasn't God. And we, I, 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 I wasn't quite expecting that, to be fair. We, we, we talked for a little bit, but very quickly realized we weren't going to get very far. So I said, look, let, let's settle for a moment. We'll just finish the Bible study. And we can talk about it afterwards. As soon as the thing had finished, we stepped out of the room and sort of all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Firstly, be careful what you pray for. <laughs> God answers prayer. But also, if we present the gospel, the truth of Scripture, it demands a response. And sometimes that response, that response will be rejection or even hostility but sometimes it will be faith and trust and belief in Jesus. But it should never, it should never be apathy. So we move on to the next, next story in verse 6. We see that 
Jesus has sort of he's changing the strategy and, and how he's dealing with his disciples. Up to this point, they've just been following and just and just doing what they are told. But now he begins to to send them send them out. And all the time he's been preparing them for this particular moment. So in chapter one, he calls them to be fishers of men. In chapter two, he calls Levi, then the rest of the twelve disciples. In chapter three, we, we find that he starts to reveal something of who he is. He tells them things that he says to nobody else. He gives them some secrets about the kingdom of God. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, he reveals his power to them. We saw that last week. We saw how he calmed the storm. We saw how he sets a man free from demonic possession. We saw how he... What was the last one? Jarius' daughter. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Gone blank completely. <laughs> That was last week, wasn't it? Dreadful. How he, he raises this how he, he, he raises this girl, little girl, back from, from death itself. And they see something of the power of Jesus at work here. And they spend time with him, they learn from him, they follow his example. And then Jesus sends them out as his representatives into the countryside. And they learn from him, and they've, they've seen what he stores. And Jesus sends them out in pairs, presumably, presumably so that they can support and encourage one another. But also, also they are able to authenticate their message. Message, you see, under Mosaic law, under Old Testament law, the truth should be established by the witness of at least, or sorry, by the testimony of at least two witnesses. So they go out. In fact, there's an urgency here because they go out with very little to say. They, to say they, they travel light is probably the greatest understatement. They take nothing with them. So perhaps the question for us this afternoon, is this story, is this just an example that we should follow? How much of this do we apply to, to ourselves in Chester as we go out and do mission, as we tell people about Jesus? Is this a model that we just follow? Well, I would perhaps suggest not because Jesus' disciples are sent to a specific group, to the Jewish people. They're told that the king has come, and, and this is a particular time and a particular situation. But there are some very important lessons that we can learn from it. And the first is this, that we need good training. Now, they had the best that Jesus they just spent time with him. They listened to him. They, they just watched him. They had the very best teaching. But we also need good teaching. And, and there's some great books out there. There is some great courses that we can go on. There's some good stuff that we, we can do. But I, but I would still say that perhaps one of the best ways of learning is the way that Jesus taught. Is to get alongside a more mature Christian is to spend time with them, is to listen to them. This is men mentoring and encouraging and building up other men. It's women mentoring and encouraging and building up other women. It's learning by experience. It's learning together. So if you, for example, if you are a, maybe your heart's for worship and you want to become a worship leader, get alongside someone who, who knows about worship. Just connect up with them. Ask them plenty of questions. Just spend time with them. Just find out what they do. Get to know how that works. Same thing applies to other different aspects of, 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 of church ministry. But get well-trained. 
The second thing is this, that we need practical and personal support and encouragement. (laughs) Guys, we need to meet regularly together. We need to know each other. We need to spend time with one another. It's not about being a lone ranger. We can't do this by ourselves. Nobody can. We need others around us to build us up, to encourage us, to walk the journey with us. So important. The third thing is that we need to be free from from other worries so that we can concentrate on the job in hand. Now, Jesus' case and the disciples' case, this is quite extreme. They actually go and they leave everything behind. (laughs) They leave jobs. they they, They don't even know where the next meal is coming from. But they live in complete dependency on God. That's the key. I don't believe that God's calling us to give up our jobs. In fact, I for one (laughs) don't live that. But I do believe that our mission field is very often into our workplaces. Our mission field is very often into the community that we we, we, we live in, that we, we spend our time in. But it is so absolutely important that we follow their example and we live in 100% complete dependency on God. That's the key. Dependent on Him for everything. The fourth thing is that the Lord Jesus did not pump them with such high expectation that they were only going to end up disappointed and then disillusioned but rather he prepares them for failure. He tells them how bad it's going to be. He tells them that things are going to be tough, that people are going to reject you. He prepares them for failure. And listen, as we step out, we must step out in being realistic. We must step out understanding actually that sometimes it's not going to be easy, that sometimes there's going to be challenges ahead, and we must be ready for failure because sometimes that's going to happen. There's nothing wrong with failing, What is wrong is probably never trying. And we must step out with the right expectation of what lies ahead of us. But there is, and the the disciples were going to face rejection. In fact, they were going to go into certain villages, and the villages just wouldn't even want them. They were going to just turn their back on them. And then Jesus tells them what they should do in that situation. And Jesus says, what you do, you just knock the dust off your feet, and you keep going. Now, again, this goes back to some Old Testament stuff, to some of the, some of the, the, the pious Jews after they were traveling through a foreign land, as they come back into their own land, into the land of Israel. What they will do, they will knock dust off their clothes, dust them nicely down, get rid of all the dust from the back of their shoes, from everything. And in doing that, their action, they are dissociating themselves with the other land. And Jesus tells his disciples to do a very, very similar thing, declaring to the village that they have turned against God. The disciples, they must fulfill their responsibility. They must go, they must share, they must tell. But if that word is rejected, they are literally to hand that village, those people, to become answerable to God himself. But it's not all doom and gloom. Because if you look at verse 13, you will see that there's a glimmer of hope, in fact, real joy here, because actually this goes remarkably well. It it seems to be actually a a resounding success. That's partly because the disciples are well-trained, because they know what to expect, because Jesus has prepared them for failure in some cases, but also for success in other areas as well. 
And, and sometimes we can go into conversations or even into church events or, or some sort of missional type event, and we, we go in with such a low expectation that we, we think God's, he'll not do anything, you know. It's hardly even worth trying, is it? It's, you know, God doesn't really do very much. Yet, God always works when the gospel is proclaimed. When truth goes out, God works, and God will answer our prayers. And the key to mission, both for the 12 disciples, but also for us as well, is that the message of the kingdom of God, this message of salvation, must be spoken. People need to know. People need to be told. And here we see that God's kingdom comes to pass for the disciples because the sick are healed. Those who have been demonized are set free and people's lives are changed. And we see that Jesus is concerned with the whole person. He loves all of us. Yes, he wants our hearts to be right with him, but he's also concerned that people are set free from sin, set free from guilt that people are healed as well. If we get into the last little section then, verse 14, Mark sort of puts this one extra little story in here really just to ram home what it means for Jesus to be rejected. And even though the events of this happened months earlier, by now, Jesus is becoming quite famous. People are talking about him. And like any celebrity, well, you know, there's gossip and there's rumors going around. In fact, there's speculation in the air. People are asking the question, who are you? Jesus, who is this man? Even the king has got wind of him. And the king is, is running around asking different people. And people have come up with a variety of different suggestions, mainly different prophets' names. They're just keeping, simply randomly guessing different prophets. Is it him? Is it him? Could be him. What about him? You know, sometimes when Rachel's been out for the day, and she comes back in, and she says to me, Keith, you'll never believe who I saw today. I says, I will. I've got it. Right. I says, is it Matthew? No. Um, what about Fred? No. Um, Colin? No. Alison? Um, how about, oh, what about Amy? No. Um, oh, Jonathan? Ben? No. She says, no, no. She says to me, Keith, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay, I'll tell you. No, 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 no. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. I've got it. I've got it. Elijah. At this point, you'd probably slap me because I'm particularly annoying, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> but actually, for those who are guessing about Jesus, that wasn't such a bad suggestion. Because actually, if you read Malachi chapter 4, Malachi says that on the, the talks about the great and the dreadful day of the Lord, when he comes, he would send Elijah, the prophet. And the understanding of the Jewish nation was that Elijah would come preceding the coming of the Messiah. But nobody, nobody gets there. Nobody, not even one person, gets the fact that Jesus could possibly be the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Instead, Herod, he thinks it's John the Baptist. 
Of course, that's his guilty conscience. He's, he's lying awake at night. He's had John the Baptist beheaded, and he's, he's haunted by the guilt of this. And he just looks and thinks, this has got to be John the Baptist back from the dead. And, and yes, you know, that, those whole events that would happen, we, we just, that last bit we read, were, were full of sort of petty jealousies, and, and, and certainly manipulation was going on, and then this sort of erotic dancing, and then some rather lavish promises were made when they should not have been made. But the bottom line was that John lost his life because he wasn't prepared to compromise on his message. He wasn't prepared to keep his mouth shut. If only he had just sort of just eased back a little bit, just compromised slightly, you know, just give a little bit of give and take, then perhaps Herod would have been a little bit kinder. Certainly the, the other women would have been a bit kinder towards him, and, and perhaps he would have been released and maybe out and about. He could, how much more would he have done if he'd been released? He could have told all those extra people about Jesus. Instead, John refused. He, he wouldn't compromise. And if we stick to the message that people are hopelessly lost without Jesus, listen, some people aren't going to like it. They're not. If we, real, if we stick to the message that it's only Jesus who can save us, he is the one who rescues us from our sins, people will reject it. They may laugh at us. They may even hurt us. In fact, if we could just change our message just a little bit, let me just soften it slightly, if we just knock off some of the, the hard edges, and, and we may, may even be applauded for, for how forward-thinking we are and perhaps how, you know, how compassionate we are. But if we do that, we turn our back on the only message that will save a person. And we must not change the message. We've got to ask ourselves, do we follow God or do we follow the opinions of people? We must stick to the message, whatever the cost. In fact, the message must not be changed. Instead, the message must change us. It must change us. See, at the end of the day, it's only God who saves. He is the only one who will change a life and left to our own devices, well, we tend to make excuses, don't we? We tend, to, we tend to get distracted. We tend to think about other things. We tend to just put things off to later. Listen, don't become like Herod. Herod actually quite liked John. He sort of got on a little bit. He still had him killed. And in doing so, he destroyed the one person who could have told him the truth, the one person who could have pointed him in the direction to be rescued. And listen, don't keep putting off the decision to follow Jesus. It's so easy, we just think, we'll just put off for a little bit longer. And although God is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God who cares for us so much, listen, sometimes we keep putting this off. Our hearts can become so hardened that we may never respond to Him. Don't put it off. We must respond to Jesus today. And it just there's a sense of urgency here. 
a sense that we, we cannot play games with God and win. We must choose. Will you choose Jesus? Or will you decide to reject him? It's a poignant thought. But that choice, I'll leave with you. Let's stand together.